Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing, and this is the 1853 podcast, a program in which we tell you about the people, events, programs, and history that make Monmouth an outstanding national liberal arts college. In this 15th edition of the 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year, we'll hear how Mama's huge library played a key role in allowing the college to have a successful 2020 fall semester. And college historian and editor Jeff Rankin will discuss the backstory of Mama's incredible 2021 calendar that began arriving in homes in late November and to wide acclaim. Mama's 2020 fall semester came to a close on December 9 when final grades were turned in by the college's faculty, some of them a bit bleary-eyed from burning the midnight oil from grading students' final exams, papers, and projects, which themselves had been turned in by bleary-eyed students. To be sure, Monmouth had a remarkable 2020 fall semester because everyone at the college, faculty, staff, and students, pulled together with a little help from the college's friends. A big key to the fall semester's success was the creative and hardworking staff at the Hughes Library. They made the proverbial pivot several times throughout the semester. Joining us to reflect on some of the highlights of the fall semester is Anne Giffey. She's a public services librarian in the Hughes Library. Anne says that because the Hughes Library staff was willing to adapt and adopt throughout the fall semester, they learned new and exciting ways to serve Mama's students. It's been it's been an adventure. I think it has for everybody. Um, we had intended to partner with the peer mentors for first year students and have them um, really give an introduction to the library on sort of their personal, from their personal mentor perspective. And of course, face-to-face orientation was not in the cards for fall 2020. So we in the library pivoted our instruction and our orientation to be more virtual. And it was an opportunity for us to learn more about video making and Zooming and um, finding online tools that can you know, supplement the things that we normally do. So what I learned is that we have um, lots of opportunity and sometimes you just need to dive in head first and, and see what works. So rather than giving person person-to-person library tours. Um, I enlisted some students this summer and this fall uh, to help me make videos that could be used on demand for orientation purposes and for the first year seminar ILA. And I have to say, um, it was so much fun. Uh, The students that I collaborated with were extremely brave to just like throw caution to the wind and allow themselves to um, to help others, you know, and be on video. And I joked with them that, of course, they'll be like YouTube stars in no time. Um, but it was it was such a fun experience, and I think uh, I'm so grateful for the for the students we have on campus to be willing to 
to do a deep dive with the library and really um, help their peers. Like just about everyone else at Monmouth, Anne is among those who prefers face-to-face interaction on campus. But as she points out, the staff of the Hughes Library was able to help maintain one of Monmouth's strongest assets, which is a strong mentoring relationship between students, faculty, and staff by being creative with technology. I would uh, prefer to be in person and have students who are working on a particular course project come as a class to the library, that that's a, a valuable experience to to walk through the doors and understand a little bit more about the library as a place. And then having uh, face-to-face contact with, you know, the librarians. And so we're a known, a known person that they, they can trust and, and come ask for help in the future. So to facilitate that differently, we utilized Zoom. So uh, classes, that we're normally meeting, you know, part face-to-face, part Zoom for remote students. I was able to pop into their class and do, you know, similar work just virtually with them to help them complete their their course research. Um, I created videos on demand. So for example, the Communications 101 class, um, we have great success in reaching 100% of those students Um, to start building their information literacy skills as first year students. And the videos that I created, you know, were sort of more on demand uh, with an an accompanying assignment to help them really start utilizing um, those skills actively. And so I'm looking forward to getting feedback from those faculty and seeing how we can uh, implement even, you know, different, better strategies for spring term in order to, to reach those students. And of course, we offer one-on-one consultations via Zoom, and that that has proven to be very valuable, especially for um, senior seminar students who are really, you know, maybe need more follow-up because of the depth of the research that they're doing, um, and because many of them were not on campus. Um, it was the opportunity to get to know them, you know, face-to-face, so to speak, digitally with our with our cameras. So that was incredibly valuable, and something I think we can continue to do. You're listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer, the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. We're chatting with Ann Giffey of the Hughes Library. She's a public services librarian, and she was one of the folks who helped students, faculty, and staff navigate a very challenging fall semester. As Ann points out, the Hughes Library made several changes a few semesters back that proved to be very helpful to the campus when the pandemic hit. Our library and and all libraries really come from the vantage point that, and studies have shown that students who use the library in some way, shape or form, you know, are more successful. They have a higher GPA, uh, they have higher retention rates, and that ultimately equals student success, which is what we're all about. So our job is to make those points of contact in the library accessible. And so about three semesters ago, three full semesters, we started a chat and text service so that students who were remote, and in those days, right, pre-COVID, remote meant I'm traveling with my team or I went home for the weekend. Um, Now remote means something completely different and is much more common. So that service, you know, has been able and has the opportunity to reach all of our students, no matter where they are. 
So we found that to be extremely valuable as part of our repertoire of, or our menu of services, so to speak. While students visit the Hughes Library a lot during a regular semester, in many ways they were ready to work digitally and virtually with the Hughes staff because their study habits had evolved over time. These days, um, students are more likely to reach out digitally potentially than in person, or at least that shift is, is changing. So it's important to, to be available from an electronic device. We also, of course, being a small liberal arts college, find it extremely valuable to have those person face-to-face -face interactions, of course, um, because that's, uh, you know, that's what human interaction and, and I think true learning can happen that way and personal relationships can be built. So we still value those face-to-face -face interactions as far as um, helping students find information and use it effectively, but, it is important to be available in other ways, including digitally. Looking ahead, Anne thinks that the library will operate a bit differently in several ways when it comes to serving the campus community in a post-pandemic world. But she says one thing that will remain constant is the library's superior service to faculty and students, no matter the circumstances. I think we've taken this opportunity to really think about what can we what can we pivot towards more in a digital realm um, and, and reach students? Um, so I think that has changed us. For example, adding um, more eBooks to our collection and really thinking about whether or not there's a pandemic, you know, students and faculty and staff do appreciate having access to these things 24 seven. And so I think that has, has changed us quite a bit and something will continue to develop. Um, and I think the this spirit of we're all in this together has potentially formed some new relationships, um, especially between um, myself and the faculty. So part of my responsibility is instruction and I've just found the faculty to be so accommodating and creative and patient, you know, as we learn these new tools and their commitment to continuing and sustaining the relationships that we've had in the past, just potentially on a new medium, again, to really foster uh, student success on our campus. That's Ann Giffey, a public services librarian in the Hughes Library. She and her colleagues, who of course are led by Director of Library Services Sarah Henderson, are a big reason that Monmouth College had such a successful and as near as normal 2020 fall semester as possible. To check out the chat text feature that Anne mentioned, and to see the tutorial and student engagement videos, you can point your browser to library.monmouthcollege.edu. listening to the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. I think it's safe to say that everyone is looking forward to turning the calendar from 2020 to 2021. If you're a supporter of Monmouth College, you have another special reason to do that this year. You get to use the new Monmouth College calendar. Produced by Monmouth College historian and editor Jeff Rankin, 
This year's Monmouth College calendar is one of the best. That's because it features 14 photographs that were taken by 1930 Monmouth alumnus Paul T. Kobler. The pictures are from the campus in the 1930s and 40s. Many of the high-quality photos have not been seen by most members of the Monmouth College community for more than 75 years. The calendar was distributed earlier this fall to select donors of the college, and a few dozen extra copies have been printed. As Jeff explains, Christmas truly came early for him in 2020. We're really lucky in this past year to receive a gift from a local photographer, uh, a gift of negatives from a Monmouth alum, Paul Kobler from the class of 1930. He was a lifelong resident of Monmouth, and he was sort of the go-to guy for years for local businesses and stuff who wanted uh, professional photos for their uh, businesses, catalogs, whatever. Uh, he did photos of Western stoneware, pottery, that sort of thing. But he also was a longtime Monmouth College photographer when, during a certain period, primarily in the 1930s and 40s, um, where uh, he was called in to sort of chronicle what was going on at the college. A lot of those images were, uh, it would end up in the yearbook or uh, alumni magazine, that sort of thing. Um, and anyway, so what, what this photographer, uh, her name is Shivel Piper, she had been posting some of these photos on Facebook for a number of years. And I thought, wow, you know, if we could just get those someday, I think it would be great to have them in the archives. And the thing about them is they were all negatives, not not positive. So you really don't know exactly what you're getting until you scan them and, and look at them as a positive image. Um, but he, the one thing that he did that was nice is most of the photos were in paper envelopes that were labeled with a date. And he even gave uh, information about when he printed them, what settings he used, what f-stops, and all that sort of thing. So it was all, all kind of interesting. And so we decided, you know, th this would be, uh, especially during this time of pandemic, that it would be kind of a, a nostalgic thing to, to put on our college calendar, uh, make people think of a, an earlier, less compli complicated time, and, and all the traditions of Monmouth College. So... Uh, a lot of really kind of iconic images from the 1930s and 40s, and um, I think it adapted well to a calendar. Old black and white photographs are so wonderful because they just have um, a mood and, and the, the contrast and that sort of thing. It, it just kind of sets a, a different uh, feeling than, than a modern color photograph. The cover of the calendar features the homecoming parade of 1940. As Jeff points out, the parade is one tradition from the 1930s and 40s that continues today. But the famous and sometimes infamous pole scrap is another tradition that's featured in the calendar that's no longer held, as well as the May Fete. The 2020 calendar features a pole scrap from 1932 and a May pole event staged in 1940. As Jeff explains, the pole scrap was always a popular event on campus and in the community. The pole scrap, uh, it, it's something that a lot of colleges had a similar thing. It was called the color rush. And uh, the, the, the whole point was it was a huge competition between the freshman and sophomore class. And at Monmouth, that went back 
really to the 19th century, and I think the first poll scraps were organized uh, in the early 20th century just because they wanted to uh, stave off some of the violence and the uh, just uh, uh, really uh, nasty uh, things that went on between those classes. Um, it, in this way, it could be somewhat controlled. But the, the concept was there was a telephone pole erected in front of uh, the old Carnegie Library, and it was really there all year long. And you never knew what day they were going to call the poll scrap. It was, uh, you know, it was a kind of a secret. And that morning, the, the old whistle on the steam plant would blow, and that would announce that it was the poll scrap. And it was the sophomore class would uh, attach its class colors, uh, which would be colored fabric, to the top of this pole, and they would basically have to guard the pole from the freshmen. And if the freshmen were able to get up the pole and grab the, uh, the colors, then they uh, won a real victory because they no longer had to wear their freshman cap. Normally, they had to wear that until halftime of the Knox game at Thanksgiving, so this was quite, quite a feather in their cap if they could do it. Um, they used a lot of different techniques. Uh, one was they would go after three or four freshmen would go after some of the bigger sophomore men and pin them down so that they were taken out of the uh, situation. And they'd usually get some, some scrawny, wiry kid who wasn't very heavy, but it could, you know, shimmy up the pole. And, you know, they'd get splinters. And the thing is, they would also uh, have to heavily tape their pants and things with duct tape because they would get torn off. So it was, uh, but the whole town uh, turned out for it. It was, uh, uh, the high school would be uh, dismissed so they could come out and see it. And it would just be hundreds and hundreds of townspeople surrounding uh, the event. And, it, and I think over the years it went through different iterations where they did, uh, they, they would do timed, uh, you know, almost like in football or something, they'd, they'd have a, a time period where they would, get to do it until the whistle blew, that sort of thing. But, but it was, uh, you know, it, it was something memorable that throughout the years uh, nobody forgot who, who was part of it or witnessed it. The annual May Fet was a lot less violent, but it was just as popular, and it involved a number of people that rivaled the size of a Cecil B. DeMille film. Right, and we, uh, we have a photo in there. It was known as the May Fet. It was every May Day. And it was a huge production, especially in the early days. Uh, the women would dress up in elaborate costumes that would take, you know, weeks to create, uh, doing various pageantry sort of things, dances. And, of course, the Maypole dance would be the, the big uh, sort of um, the, the culmination of the, of the activity. But it was held in the Valley Beautiful, which was is now sort of the parking lot in Ninth, on Ninth Street, sort of down in that valley. And uh, they would crown the May Queen, and they would all she would also have a Chancellor. So it was all, it was very similar to the Homecoming King and Queen, and it was a big deal. And again, the townspeople would turn out for that. It was it was, it was a part of the annual calendar. Uh, it was you know tradition year after year. And there'd even be like a uh, young boy and girl who would be part of the, the ceremony uh, chosen from the town. So you know, a lot of those things, I think it, the last one was held in the 1950s. And by that time, it had moved over to the west side of campus uh, behind the old gymnasium. 
This is the 1853 podcast of Monmouth College. I'm Dwayne Bonifer in the Office of Communications and Marketing. We're chatting with Monmouth College historian and editor Jeff Rankin. He's responsible for producing an incredible 2021 Monmouth College calendar. Sports have been a big part of the Monmouth experience since the 19th century. That's shown in the August page of the calendar with a 1934 shot of the tennis courts that were once located behind McMichael Residence Hall. As Jeff points out, sports were made available to both male and female students, which wasn't always the case at other colleges and universities. That's shown in July with a group of female swimmers who are pictured in the pool of the old gymnasium in 1940. Athletics for, for men and women, the women weren't varsity but they competed very, uh, you know, strongly. Uh, field hockey was big uh, with the women. And early on, basketball, uh, from the turn of the century, we had, you know, women's basketball. And, um, you know, it was, it was separate, but it was uh, still uh, ex- extremely competitive. And, um, you know, it took a while after Title IX for women to really – appreciate how uh how what they could do um on the playing field and in the on the basketball court i I can remember when that started to take effect in the in the 70s and it was hard to field some teams you know because they just didn't have that experience but once it got going um you know they they were uh easily as competitive as the men the november page shows a great picture from 1946 That's when servicemen who had returned from World War II invaded U.S. college and university campuses, often overwhelming student housing options on campus and in town. Monmouth was no exception. 1946, uh, the GIs really started coming back, and there were some who had been here uh, in in the naval flight training uh, uh, cadets who were here during the war. Um, and the problem was there were really there were no male dorms on campus. There were fraternity houses, but uh, it was up to men, male students to find rooms in town. And when all of a sudden we had like three times as many men coming back, uh, it was a real real crisis. And the local Rotary Club got together and pledged a bunch of, uh, of funds to construct a. a, a, a it was called Rotary Hall, which was would be, later be expanded into Fulton Hall, but but that was uh, the first male dorm really built on campus, and at the same time they were building um, women's dorms too, but uh, it wasn't until uh, uh, Fulton Hall and, and Graham Hall uh, later that we've really started having male dorms. But anyway, the the first men who were destined to live in Rotary Hall, it wasn't finished. And so they put them in the gymnasium uh, for about eight weeks that fall of 1946, and they just had sort of open walls, and they and they had to deal with uh, basketball practice going on in on the court, and but and they also uh, gave them paint brushes and told them they could go paint their their future home and maybe they'll get in sooner. So they finally did about November, the end of November of 46, and. Uh, it, the, it still wasn't quite finished, but a uh, great picture in there of, of the, the living quarters in the old gymnasium. The 2021 Monmouth calendar closes with a picture from 1934. 
It's the folks who were involved with the performance of Handel's Messiah in Dahl Chapel and Auditorium. During a non-pandemic school year, the Christmas season at Monmouth is now celebrated on campus with Christmas at Monmouth. The, the Christmas celebration uh, was a big production of the Messiah that would have uh, not only uh, uh, Gracie Peterson and Edna Riggs, but it would have the choirs and uh, organ and, and it, you know, it was um, probably over 100 uh, students uh, participating and so that was that was an early thing, and then later on, Gracie Peterson would do uh, these Christmas programs, usually at Second Church, uh, but really elaborate as everything she did was with choirs, and then they would go caroling overnight. So that was always um, a, another important part of the of the calendar year. That's Monmouth College historian and editor Jeff Rankin discussing what's simply a wonderful 2021 edition of the Monmouth College calendar. The calendar was sent earlier this year to select donors of the college, and there are a few dozen extra copies. And that's going to be a 30 for this 15th edition of Monmouth College's 1853 podcast of the 2020-2021 school year. I hope you've enjoyed this program. Tell us what you think by firing off an email to us at news at monmouthcollege.edu. Be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Until our next edition, this is Dwayne Bonifer in the Monmouth College Office of Communications and Marketing. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Have a nice day and stay healthy.